normally in, in medicine you don't see a group of doctors who dominate a field easily walk away in 20 years and be replaced. Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. You can see it. I mean, it's crystal clear. I think it's going to really revolutionize things. Those, which is a big game changer. All information discussed or provided by Jonathan Bakhtari, MD, Dr. Bakhtari, and or his affiliates and guests are for educational purposes only. The information discussed and provided is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical concern or condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of any information discussed or provided by Dr. Bakhtari or his affiliates and guests. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call 911 immediately. Hi, welcome to another episode of Bakhtari MD. Today we're going to be talking about what is a hospitalist. I know I've touched on this in other videos, but I kind of feel like it deserved its own little talk. So what is a hospitalist? A hospitalist is basically, in the most rudimentary form, a medical doctor who takes care of you while you're in the hospital. And to understand why that is a essentially a new thing in the last 20 years is we have to go back in time and see how people were taken care of in the hospital prior to the advent of the hospitals, hospitalists. The hospitalist was first coined in 1996, but it really probably didn't evolve to what it is today until about 10 years after that, and now it's fully evolved uh, some 20, 25 years later. Prior to the 1990s or during the 1990s, if you got sick and went in the hospital, the person who took care of you was often, very often, your doctor who was taking care of you in the office. And that is how most hospitals in the United States were structured. Obviously, if you didn't have someone, they would assign you to a doctor. But most of the doctors who then manage your care in the, in the hospital certainly prior to 2000, were doctors who had other things they were doing, like running a practice, meaning seeing people in the office. So when they would come and see you, it would sort of be in between maybe going to the hospital or some other duties they had. And when they were in the hospital, it wasn't like shift work. And most of the time, they were getting paid directly from your insurance company for seeing you. And so if you if they saw three patients and they had three different insurances. They would bill all three insurance companies and they would get paid that way. Basically, it, they got paid the same way in the hospital as they got paid when they were seeing you in the office. You can imagine in the office, people would come in with different insurances. They would see them and bill the different insurances and get compensated that way. But something changed in the 1990s. And what changed was really how hospitals got reimbursed for you being in the hospital. In the 1990s was really the start of managed care taking off and the also the start uh, or the height of Medicare reimbursing hospitals based on DRGs. And what DRGs are, are is a basically think of it as a lump sum of money Medicare would pay the hospital depending on your diagnosis and the complexity of your care. So if you went to the hospital with a kidney infection and you stayed there two days or 20 days, Medicare would pay the hospital roughly the same amount. When that happened, some of the inefficiencies of 
your primary care doctor coming into the hospital were more exposed. Because prior to that, the hospitals actually had no incentive to get you out. And as a matter of fact, the longer you stay on some level, the better. And certainly the physicians were getting compensated every day that they saw you. So there was you know, no real financial incentive to get you out. Obviously, most doctors and hospitals want to do the right thing. So they would certainly try to get you out as soon as possible. But there wasn't a lot of motivation to come up with ways to deal with inefficiencies while you were in the hospital. For example, if a doctor ordered a test on you, that was going to determine whether you went home or not. And after he ordered the test, he left for the day or he went to the office. Sometimes he wouldn't come back until the next day and see the results. Oh, yeah, Susie can go home. But of course, that could have happened that same day. But since the doctor wasn't there, potentially that could have delayed your discharge. Now, that in itself isn't bad and usually doesn't hurt anyone, but there simply weren't a lot of efficiencies. Remember back then also electronic medical records were not a big thing. And so the way information got transmitted, a lot of times the way a doctor found out the results of your test is literally he would come the next day, open your chart, and somehow a paper copy of that report would show up in your chart and he would then make a decision based on what paper actually showed back up into the chart. That's just one example of some of the inefficiencies. So once Medicare went to the DRG format and once managed care took hold, remember managed care was also not paying the hospitals per day often. Often the contracts they negotiated were also flat rates and certainly flat rates per day and sometimes flat rates total. And so, and sometimes the rates weren't that good. So the hospital wasn't you know, necessarily jumping up and down when patients stayed longer. And a lot of different reimbursements went down. So the idea of having a hospitalist come and not f- focus on anything but taking care of the patient in the hospital came up initially as a way to improve efficiency. But soon after it got started, it actually did show that a hospitalist could reduce your length of stay. And there were some suggestions, some studies indicated that it would actually improve the quality of the care and improve patient satisfaction. More and more hospitals and managed care facilities or organizations decided to bring on full-time hospitalists. Now, these hospitalists were essentially providing shift work often, or they'd be seven days on, seven days off, and they wouldn't necessarily have anything else to do but be in the hospital. The other thing is the hospitalists were there often 24 hours a day. So they would rotate and there would be different shifts. And so with that change, several things happen. Well, first of all, with the new structure of uh, Medicare paying with by DRGs and managed care, almost the concept of what used to be very common in medicine, which was elective admissions, where you would electively be admitted, meaning, Mrs. Smith, we're going to admit you next Tuesday for this or that. The concept of elective admissions went away. And the only way you could really get into the hospital is if you had an emergency or something you know, dramatically changed and you needed to be in the hospital. You can still get admitted directly to the hospital, but the concept of just electively admitting you, and you know, there was times, you know, if you want to go back in the 60s and 70s, people with back pain 
would be admitted to a hospital just for seven days of bed rest. Obviously, all of that went away in the 1990s when the hospitals realized that they weren't going to get paid for seven days if they admitted somebody for bed rest for seven days. And a lot of those admissions simply went away. Later on, I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of how things used to be versus how they are, but let's keep going on this journey. So as hospitals took charge, they actually became more like employees and often work for the hospital or work for the managed care organizations. Some work for themselves and then got contracts with insurance companies or hospitals. So they were sort of like, think of them as independent contractors who would manage the patients for either hospitals or manage them for HMOs or other managed care organizations. Instead of them being in private practice and signing contracts, more and more are being employed by the hospital and employed by managed care organization or actually employed by really large national hospitalist group or regional hospitalist group, which then sign contracts with hospitals and managed care organizations. But very few hospitalists these days are solo, meaning an independent solo practice. You know, either they're an employee of the hospital, they're an employee of a managed care group, or they're an employee of a big hospitalist group, which then, of course, has those contracts. So that is some of the differences. The other differences that I just want to go through is really understanding what the difference between the hospitalist and your primary care is or was. The most primary care doctors are internists, pediatricians, and and family practitioners. As it turned out, a lot of the people that went into hospital to become hospitalists, majority of our internists, some are family practice, and some are from pediatrics. So they were lured in the 1990s and early 2000s to give up uh, their internist career, which often involved a combination of both private practice as an outpatient, as an inpatient, for several reasons. The reasons why a lot of people were lured into being a hospitalist were multifold. Number one, hospitalist works became somewhat attractive in the sense that it was shift work. And so you could work seven days and be on for seven days, be off for seven days, or you could just work at nights and be off during the day. That certainly appealed to a lot of people. The other uh, reason why hospitalist jobs became attractive is you didn't have to run an outpatient facility and hire nurses and uh, medical assistants and pay rent and literally go into business. So for a lot of young aspiring doctors who are finishing, let's say, internal medicine residencies, that became attractive. The other reason it became attractive is, you know, hospitalist work is very similar to what they do in residency, because most residency training programs, for the most part, are inside the hospital. And most primary care doctors who do outpatient medicine, the bulk of their training occurred in a hospital. And so it was just a comfort to go, a comfortable situation to go from an internal medicine residency right into being a hospitalist because basically that's what you were doing during your training. Also, I think there was some, you know, uh, as the compensation and remuneration from uh, insurance companies and Medicare for a lot of 
outpatient services became less or more complicated and there was more paperwork. Again, the, the idea of showing up to a hospital working 12 hours or eight hours and leaving appeal, uh, appeal to a lot of other people. There were other factors that contributed to the hospitalist movement taking off. You have to remember now there must be close to 60,000 hospitalists in the United States. It's the largest subspecialty of internal medicine. It literally went from having zero to being the largest in a, less than a 20-year span. And part of that is because other forces came into play. So you can see the hospitals or and a managed care organization, once they realized hospitals could reduce their length of stay and provide maybe equal or better quality, there was a big push to make those jobs attractive financially and otherwise. But there was another reason going on. Normally, the doctors who were going to their practice and coming to the hospital, the interns, would not have let the hospitalists take over so quickly and give up a big portion of their revenue and practice. But in reality, what happened is the compensation for seeing people in the hospital were not that great compared to doing procedures or seeing high volumes of people in your office where there may be additional testing involved and additional sources of revenue. So it was a combination of it being very attractive to young new graduates in internal medicine or people who had been practicing for a while but were dissatisfied with outpatient primary care. But also, it was also a willingness on the internists who were acting like the hospitals to give it up because they found it often not satisfying in terms of compensation. Plus, there was a big hassle going back to your office, coming to the hospital, maybe going back to your office and after your end of the day, start ending your day at the hospital and then maybe starting your day at the hospital. So I think on some level, a lot of the internists who were taking care of people in the hospital were glad to give it up. Normally in, in medicine, you don't see a group of doctors who dominate a field easily walk away in 20 years and be replaced. It has to be a combination of forces. So the combination, now that we've set the whole story, the combination of forces were the hospitals were like, okay, we're getting a flat rate for a lot of these hospital stays. The doctors who were taking care of the patients in the hospital were like, hey, we're tired of going back to the office and coming back and forth this you know what this is no way to practice and then a young young group of doctors who are graduating who, who said hey i don't want to be hiring receptionists and medical assistants and nurses and signing a lease for an office i, I don't want to do that i just want to practice medicine so it just evolved and within 20 years we literally moved all of the internists out and put all of the hospitals in. And that rarely happens in medicine. There's such inertia in medicine for change. I mean, nobody in the medical field likes change by nature. And the fact that this literally shook up the entire hospital experience in a matter of 20 years is a testimony to those forces all combining. And it's, you know, partly explains why a lot of people don't even know what a hospitalist is. And that's partly why we're making this video, because of, of this coming, th coming together of all these forces simultaneously. 
you know, if Medicare doesn't do basically flat rate and, and managed care doesn't blossom into, you know, limiting how much they pay for hospital stays, at the same time, you know, a lot of doctors are getting compensated less for coming to the hospital and it's a hassle. It just was the perfect storm to create a new specialty and the largest subspecialty in internal medicine in the span of 20 years. So let's just kind of go over some of the advantages of a hospitalist. Some of the advantages of a hospitalist is they're always there. If you go to a hospital at three in the morning, you're more than likely going to be seen by a hospitalist because 75%, if not more, of hospitals have hospitals doing all of their admissions, their general admissions. So there is an advantage where in the old days, if you went in at three in the morning, your primary care doctor was probably sleeping. And the ER would call your primary care doctor. He would give some orders over the phone and he would try to see you right before he went to the office, if he could. If not, he'd call and give some more orders. I'm just playing that out. It wasn't always like that. But you could see that. So now with hospitalists, no matter what time you go, you know there's going to be a hospitalist there. And if you believe some of the data, they're going to lengthen your stay, you're going to have better outcomes, and you're going to be more satisfied. The other thing that the hospitals allowed things to improve was they actually were, became the quarterback for your care in ways that your your internist could have never done because he can't really be quarterbacking your care if he's not in the hospital the vast majority of the day. I mean, technically he's the quarterback, but if your primary care doctor who's in the office eight hours a day is your quarterback, well, that doesn't really make sense because he's not going to be there when the labs come back, when the specialists walk in. So with the hospital, there were some major advantages because he literally was in the hospital all day. And when the specialists came, often he'd have an opportunity to talk with them when the labs came back. And because the hospitalists hung out at the hospital pretty much every day, he got to know the EKG technician. He got to know the CAT scan tech. So if he needed something done really urgently, as like any job, if you're there all day long, you get to know the system. You get to know when the electronic medical records goes down every, once a week for two hours or whatever. You get to know the ins and outs. You get to know uh, what days they have good food in the cafeteria. You get to know the security guard. You get to know everything. Uh, and uh, and some of that may be not important, but on some level, a hospitalist understanding when the specialists round, you know, uh, what the normal pattern of how long it really takes to get a CAT scan. If you want to get a CAT scan urgently, you not only do you have to order it stat, but you got to call your friend in the CAT scan department and say, no, 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 this is really stat, not the normal stat. So you can think of it as super stat. Your doctor that's going and hanging out of the office probably is not going to know all that. And to that extent, the hospitals can make your life a lot better. Uh, he may also know other specialists who may not even be on your case, who he may see walking down the hallway that your primary care doctor would never bump into because he's never there during office hours. So he can meet and greet and talk to and collaborate in ways that your primary care internist could never do. So huge, huge advantage. Um, and the other thing the hospitals could do is the hospitals can manage all of 
the scut work and things that the specialists don't want to do, allowing the specialists to focus on what they do. So he can run down results that the specialists need, for example, or order procedures that the specialist wants and make sure it gets done efficiently. So your specialists are not busy doing that and, and may not want to do that and, and may have not have done it. You know, your hospitals can be your biggest advocate. One of the disadvantages is when you go into a hospital with a hospitalist is more than likely that is the first time you're meeting them. And after you get discharged, that's probably the last time you're going to see that hospitalist. Not always, but most of the time. With your primary care doctor, you would have the advantage of your primary care doctor knowing you, right? So when he comes and sees you in the hospital, he may have known you since you were, you know, 18. Or if he's a family practice doctor, he may have known you since you were two. And you're giving up all that. You're losing that relationship when you see a hospitalist. That you're losing your primary care doctor understanding you, knowing your fears and concerns, and knowing your medical records better than anyone. Because when a hospitalist meets you, he's got to figure that out. And he may or may not understand all your previous medical issues to the extent that your primary care doctor does. But no one can say it's as good as a primary care doctor who's taking care of you maybe your whole life. So you're definitely, definitely giving that up. And lastly, you're, you know, your primary care doctor may have insights in how you react to things and help you help you navigate your medical decision making in ways that maybe a hospitalist won't. I mean, hospitals may just give you two choices, but your primary care doctor potentially could understanding how you think and what's important to you help you make certain decisions. Then lastly, when you get discharged, a hospitalist may write a discharge summary, may even give a courtesy phone call to your primary care doctor, although not many times, I would guess. But with a primary care doctor, when you show up for your post-hospital visit, he if he was also taking care of you in the hospital, he doesn't have to sift through 500 pages or 200 pages of medical records to find out what happened to you in the hospital. Because remember, most people who have a hospital stay, their care doesn't end when the hospital stay ends. Their care is now moving to a new phase, which is outpatient management. So you came in for a pneumonia and you're getting discharged and you were put on antibiotics during the hospital. You're going to have to continue probably those antibiotics as an outpatient until there's good resolution, until everything's fine. And if things aren't fine or if things take a turn for the course, you know, your doctor who's taking care of you as an outpatient, it would behoove him to fully understand what happened to you in the hospital, if that makes sense. And so we are giving up some of that when when we use a hospitalist. Now, I know hospitalists have done a you know great job, especially in the last few years, of communicating some of that to your primary care doctor, especially if you're in a system where your primary care doctor is part of the same system, often employed by the same system. That tends to work, doesn't work as well when the hospitalist and the hospital and the outpatient primary care doctor are essentially not in the same system. So those are some of the theoretical downsides of having a hospitalist. There's also one other theoretical downside. uh, And part of that is understanding how hospitalists work. Most hospitalists are hired by managed care organization or the hospital 
and sometimes directly by your insurance company. They have a strong incentive to make sure not only do you receive unnecessary care, but all things being equal, they're incentivized to quickly and efficiently with the best possible care, get the person out of the hospital. In fact, those things are measured. Uh, Different hospitalists' average length of stay is a measured metric uh, that other people who employ them uh, and work with them understand. And while it's important to get rid of excess days due to just inefficiencies in in the system, we would not want to get to the point where any hospitalization is rushed too much, which can happen. So you, we have to also balance now, you know, what is the motive of, of the hospitals? And again, 99.99999% of hospitals are amazing people, amazing professionals and committed doctors. But having said that, that, you know, they do work for employers who sign their paycheck and they want them to be efficient. And I think the there's a thin line be- between being efficient and doing the right thing and providing great care to possibly, you know, speeding someone out of the hospital too early. So that's a theoretical downside that you have to consider, which circles back to the problem we had in the 1990s, where there was the other problem, or the 1980s or 1970s, where no doubt people were kept longer than they should be and were admitted for reasons that there was no reason to admit them. And so I think as you've seen in many of my talks, you know, the pendulum goes one way, then goes all the way over there and then bounces back. And running theme that I promised you in my earlier videos of this pendulum, right? So we go from excesses of the 70s and 80s, where you're admitted to the hospital for no good reason, to potentially current day excesses when they do occur, to rushing someone out of the hospital just because they belong to a certain HMO or the hospital's been putting pressure on the group to manage their bed days more efficiently. The good news is the vast majority of doctors, both hospitals and primary care and internists do the right thing and take great care of patients. Uh, But that danger like it was in the 70s and 80s, can be present in the 2020s. So that sort of puts the big picture on both ends of the spectrum. Well, I think there you have it. But there is one other thing that is often unspoken about, you know, hospitalists and their role. You know, one of the most interesting things I find about hospitalists is the fact that, you know, on some level, we found early on that doctors gave up taking care of people because it wasn't the compensation for seeing a patient wasn't that great. Yet we're asking hospitals to take that same job and and give them good compensation. So some of that has to be made up by sheer volume, meaning you're seeing a lot of patients. Uh, And the danger in that, of course, can be when you're seeing a lot of volume, and not always, but uh, more volume probably than any you know, most hospitals see more patients than your traditional internist who is going back and forth between his office and the hospital. Granted, he was seeing a lot of patients in the office too, but there is a lot of work. And and the real testimony to that is what you'll see is the hospital schedule is often, you know, meant to, you know, like I said, be seven days on, seven days off. That's really a testimony to like packaging a lot of work in a period and then sort of letting him decompress or letting her decompress. I think 
there is a theoretical concern that hospitals can burn out, just like ER doctors, you know, burn out because of the grueling shift work and just plowing through a lot of patients. So I think that danger is there. And of course, anytime doctors are seeing a lot of patients, eventually, potentially, you know, the quality and not even just even the quality. What about the attentiveness to patients' emotions? Maybe a patient needs someone to hold their hands at their bedside for an extra 15 minutes after being given a rough diagnosis. The question remains, you know, will hospitalists have the time, energy, and long-term stamina and not get battle fatigue seeing 20 patients or 30 patients or even 15 patients a day and talking to families and specialists and what have you? And the issue really is when you're seeing hospitalists, you know, and I'm and I know there are great hospitalists, but you know, if you're one of 15, 20, or 30 people on a list. Uh, but again, you could say the same thing about your primary care doctor when you go see him in the office. They've got 15, 20 people. But if you're in the hospital and you have, you're, especially if you have a rough diagnosis, you know, do they have that time that once in a week a patient needs a lot of extra time, a lot of handholding? You know, luckily what I've seen is a lot of hospitals do do it. But as that trend goes to really, you know, um, have hospitals see more and more patients, you know, I would hate to see that be pulled back and we lose that. Because at the end of the day, medical care is an art. It's part compassion. It's part caring. It's not just making the diagnosis and delivering the treatment. So I think the challenge to hospitals and the hospitals as a, as a group, as a specialty, is to navigate and come up with ways to maintain that human side of it and not let the sheer volume take over. And as cutbacks occur and compensation for seeing a patient in the hospital, even for a hospitalist, gets less and less, you know, could that happen? Might that happen? Is it happening? That is the big danger. Thank you for listening. You can check out my website, jonathanbakhtarimd.com, to sign up for my newsletter. And you can watch this full episode over on my YouTube channel, BakhtariMD, where you can leave questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes. As always, be well. Thank you. Thank you.